The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. like to call to order the Committee of a Whole for September, uh, February 13th. Um, if the clerk could please call the roll. Councilmember Wood? Here. Councilmember Garza? Here. Councilmember Hussein? Here. Councilmember Spadafore? Present. Councilmember Spitzley? Here. Councilmember Jackson? Present. Councilmember Brown? Present. Councilmember Cost? Here. Eight members present, you have a quorum. Thank you, and at this time, the next item on our agenda are the minutes. Vice President Garza. Okay, I, I move the minutes of the January 23rd and the February 6th meeting as written. We have a motion on the minutes. Are there any questions? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Passes unanimously. At this time, this is an opportunity for public comment, so if there's anyone in the audience that would like to make public comment, if you'd please come up to the podium, state your name for the record, and you will have an opportunity to make comment. Is there anyone that would like to make comment at this time? Seeing none, we will move into our presentations. Uh, what we're going to do um, is to move ahead, Department of Neighborhood Arts and Citizen Engagement ahead. Um, the director has an important engagement um, with her son later, and so we're going to make sure that she's able to get to that. So if you could please come inside the well to um, the desk, and if you would <clears throat> and if you would make sure that your mic is on. Um, we've invited um, different departments to come before us um, before the budget to talk about um, monies that they received um, during um, the American Rescue uh, Plan Act um, and how those are being utilized and how their current budget is going. We are not talking about next year's budget, we're just talking about the budget that we're currently in. So having said that, we will turn um, this over um, to the director and uh, allow you an opportunity. The light for the microphone is, um, yep, right there. Great. Okay, with that, we'll open it up um, to you and then we'll take any questions at this time. Hi, so uh, good evening. Uh, thank you for pushing me ahead. My son's been really looking forward to the mother-son dance and uh, spending some mother-son time together. So thank you so much. Um, so I'll start with our ARPA updates. Uh, we are working on uh, spending the dollars, of course, before the end of the fiscal year that we were allocated. I, I had a copy printed off for each of the council members that, that uh, explains everything that we are doing. So with OFE for our Vita Mobile project, we are currently, we have the drawings for the bus options and we will proceed when United Way has hired a new program manager for the Vita, pro, uh, for the Vita program and those interviews are currently in process. 
for the marketing of OFE, which was $100,000, we expect to begin making uh, purchases this week. Uh, we have created a form for the FEC staff at Crystal Ray to use when submitting a proposed expense to us. Uh, that will ensure that we follow city purchasing procedures and that OFE will con retain control of the funds paying vendors directly upon approval of the requested form. Uh, for our other project, the clearing the driving while license suspended balances, we have been given the necessary data from 54A uh, to clear these balances. Uh, one thing that has changed since I printed this earlier today is that we now have that spreadsheet that we were working on with Emily Linden and Strategy. And so we do have a list of residents and we are now working on the next step, which is sending out the first mailing to notify residents of their eligibility to have their debt cleared. Uh, the process will be a low lift for residents, uh, a simple phone call to OFE and uh, possibly getting a copy of their driving record from Secretary of State. We're also uh, participating in the Secretary of State's Road to Restoration event on April 12th to do additional outreach to uh, residents. We do have rules of eligibility for this program. You must be a Lansing resident uh, with a court debt that is a barrier to getting a driver's license restored. And if that said debt is not a result of domestic violence, weapons, or substance abuse. And that was for the, the three that fall under the OFE uh, uh, programs. Before we, before we move into the next section, um, are there any questions on this section? Uh, Council Member Spitzley. Thank you, Madam President, and I'm excited for the mother-son dance. I remember taking my kids, so it's, it's fun. So I hope you guys have a great time. Um, so on the, um, could you remind me again what the Vita Mobile is? So they are looking to purchase a bus that will take them directly into neighborhoods for uh, residents who have barriers for tax preparation. Oh, nice. So this is uh, specifically to directly impact our residents. All right, so under the DWLS balance, um, how, do, how, do, um, how do you find these people? Do they have to petition you or what's the process here? We have a list of names from 54A District Court and we will be reaching out to the residents. Asking them if they want their balances? Correct. Okay, thank you. We try to make it as low lift for them as possible. Okay, thank you. That's it. Uh, Council Member Brown. Thank you, President Wood. Good evening, good to see you. I'm excited for your dance as well. Uh, a few, just a few questions of, of relating to A, the Vital Mobile. Um, what is it, I know you said you were waiting on the um, organization to hire staff, uh, but what is the expected start date? I know we're getting close to, to tax time and things like that. I don't have that information tonight, but I can get that to you uh, within the week or so. Okay, thank you so much, because I know that you know people want to know when is this going to be available so we can fully take advantage of it and use the resources responsibly. Uh, then to be uh, our marketing of OFE, um, I've talked you know over the last year or so with uh, the team, which is great service, great um, work that's being done. However, getting enough people has been a challenge um, from what I understand. My question is in this marketing of the 100,000, are we looking at, um, and I think we spoke about it before, uh, kind of internal marketing to make sure that internal systems are referring um, individuals that could benefit from uh, all the Office of Financial Empowerment 
such as individuals if they need help with basic needs and they're being referred to our community partners, are some of these dollars used to, to make sure that that referral is coming from them, maybe to HRCS, to the Office on Financial Empowerment, or are we looking just at external uh, you know, um, organizations or supporters to do the outreach in that way? So I believe it's both. Um, I don't, um, I have not asked uh, Amber specifically, so I don't want to answer for her, but I do believe it's both. It is internal and external. Um, one of the internal partners that we have begun working with is with 311, and we have utilized an auto dialer system, which we partnered with uh, Capital Area Housing Partnership for a list of those residents who received uh, rental assistance, where we uh, set up an auto dialer that uh, reached out to them to see if they needed any more assistance, if everything was just a touch base and uh, directed them to press one if they wanted to schedule an appointment with a counselor. And the first 500 calls went out last week and our counselor schedules are full from those calls. Oh, excellent. That's, that's exactly the type of innovation that I, uh, um, people want to hear. Um, would you be able to follow up just on the rest of the strategy to um, just to inform the public, that's great. But that's a, that's a wonderful example there. And lastly, I know we're on a tight schedule. Um, when it relates to uh, item C, um, how we're at the uh, bottom here, I appreciate the low barriers. It talks about um, Lansing residents uh, with uh, court debt that is a barrier to driver's license restored. Uh, it says debt is not a result of domestic violence, weapons, and substance abuse. How are these, um, I guess, uh, crimes, um, where, where did those three come from uh, relating to not being eligible? Mm, I'll have to get that direct wording. I don't want to assume any wording, so let me get that direct wording for you and get that back to you in writing. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Council President. All right, thank you. Are there other questions on the first um, section? Um, yes, uh, Vice President Garza. Thank you, Council President. And good evening, thanks for presenting here tonight. I'll be, I'll be quick, brief with my question. <laughs> So I, I, I heard you mention that the OFE staff's busy now filling calls. Now, how many staff do you have under you, and do you see that being a problem when you guys are reaching out to try to clear the um, DWLS balances? Well, uh, under me, I have specifically Amber Paxton and I have Zach uh, Edson. Uh, they also have uh, contract employees that work specifically with um, uh, Offender Success. And so on the OFE, on the Financial Empowerment Center side, that's where we contract with Crystal Ray. And so on that side of things, we have uh, two financial counselors, and we also have a program manager at uh, Crystal Ray. So, so who would be making the calls to, to reaching out from the court and getting these, um, the message so out to the public? The uh, auto dialer and, and may be used, but it would probably be, more than likely, we will be using uh, traditional mailings first. Uh, we would want to make sure we have correct addresses and such, but it would be internal staff. So that would be Amber or Zach. And you have the appropriate amount of staff to make sure that this happens? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, anyone else? One just quick question that's following up on uh, the um, VIT uh, mobile. And again, as was stated, you know, we are in tax season, and I think part of the um, information that we received talked about how much additional income would be um, uh, able for people to 
um, get by having this mobile van. And if we're not able to start this um, calendar year dealing with um, income tax, then there's the potential of not seeing that in the community. So if you could follow up and make sure that we understand when the likelihood is that that'll be uh, up and running, I'd appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right, if you'd move into the next one, next okay. section. So on the neighborhood side, we had uh, two things. Uh, our neighborhood advisory board grants, which we were allocated $400,000 for those. Uh, we have, uh, have a plan for $200,000 to be directed, uh, excuse me, awarded directly to civic organizations for projects that impact neighborhoods in fiscal year 23. And then we will also uh, fund out $200,000 for fiscal year 24. The deadline for that grant application is not until March 3rd, so I won't have any specific numbers until after that. But um, we also will be using our budgeted general uh, fund line item. Uh, we will use that for our Neighborhoods in Bloom program as well as our neighborhood trash cleanups. So that $200,000 will be specifically for neighborhood advisory board grants only. Uh, once we have those awarded, we will have a press release uh, listing the organizations and projects and locations uh, as we have done in previous years, probably pushing it a little bit harder since these are the ARPA funds that we're using from the government, uh, federal government, excuse me. And for the gun violence prevention grants, we were allocated $300,000. The grant application and rubric are currently being finalized to allow for awards this, uh, late this spring. Uh, we are working with the gun violence task force. They will review and score the applications and um, that's the update I have for that specific grant. Um, any? Okay, uh, questions. We have Council Member Spitzley and then Vice President Garza. Thank you, Madam President. So, Delisa, one of the things um, for these grants that we had talked about last year was how, who gets notified of them? I know you've had some workshops. Um, who gets notified and um, there seemed to be like a, a standard list. So tell me how you, um, how you did outreach to let um, nonprofits and, and community groups know about the availability of these grants. And then the second part of that is, do you have a database of nonprofits or these community groups, a complete database in the city so that when these dollars are available, you know, as many people as possible, it's never 100%, but as many people as possible get notice that these dollars are available. So the additional outreach that we have done, uh, my staff and I have tried to attend uh, as many community and neighborhood meetings as possible, connecting with uh, organization leaders that we feel would be a great fit for these grants. Uh, the one thing I do uh, like to stress to people when I'm out in the community is that these grants have to directly impact neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. um, I think as soon as, and I don't like to make any assumptions, and I think as soon as people hear grants, they assume it, is, it can go towards anything. And we don't want to misdirect anyone because what I wouldn't want is anyone to think that they can apply for ours and then miss out on other opportunities. But we do try to attend as many um, community events as possible to share that information. We encourage our neighborhood advisory board members to attend as many community events as possible. We've hosted the coffee and grants. Um, those 
notifications all go into our neighborhood newsletter. So anyone who has signed up for our neighborhood newsletter will receive that. We also try to push it out as much as we can socially by working with the communications director here. Uh, but a lot of it has to go, uh, we, we just push it out as best we can whenever we're out in the public. Um, with that being said, it's always not 100%, and we look for new ways to do that, how uh, new organizations, new because uh, they're popping up every day. So new organizations that we can fund and get that information to. I am uh, happy to say that every grant season that we do this, we have uh, at least two new, or two new organizations who had never applied for a neighborhood grant before. So um, I feel like we're doing good, but of course we can always do better. And if anyone has any suggestions or if you know of any events that we can speak at, we will definitely do our best to be there. At least one of my staff will be there for that. Uh, for a database, uh, we don't have a um, traditional database. We have a, a kind of a, a lazy <laughs> database where we have an Excel spreadsheet that we update. And we keep that with, um, I've got the same spreadsheet that I've been using since I've gotten into the department. So everyone who has ever contacted us, ever applied for anything, even if they were denied in the past, we still send out that information. And I strongly encourage anyone, if they're watching or listening, that if you have a neighborhood organization, civic organization, nonprofit, church, and you have not heard from us, please reach out to us so we can get you connected. Okay. Any other questions? Or, I'm sorry, Vice President Garza. Thank you, Council President. Um, so I really like this neighborhood uh, grants. Um, it was pretty successful last year from what I understand. Uh, we had some, some great projects done in the second ward. Did you uh, use all that money from last year? We did. Okay, that's great, that's, that's even better. So I guess my, my question is, is I know that they did like a stage in Durant Park, and that's not necessarily in a neighborhood. Has there ever been talk to talk about um, cleaning up some of the like the, for instance, brick pavers. Like we do a lot of nice projects in the city of Lansing, but we don't seem to have money in the budget to maintain those um, mm -hmm. those properties. And I'm talking about from uh, where the auto zone is on South Cedar Street all the way down to Cavanaugh. There's beautiful brick pavers, but the grass has grown up through them so much you can hardly even tell that they're there. It looks like a, you know a part of the grass in between the sidewalk and the street. Now, is there has there ever been talked about money to help, like maybe take Roundup or something to clear the uh, the weeds out of there, or 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 um, give money to organizations like uh, the Church of South Lansing Nazarene that does the I Love My City, and they clean up you know multiple projects over the city every year. I, I would strongly suggest that they apply for the grants. Um, I think we would just need an organization to come to us say that we want to do this. Um, even um, as a council member, uh, Garza, if you came to us. Um, and said, this is a project I like to do. Similar to how we work with uh, Councilman Hussein on the cleanups, I think we can greatly uh, appreciate working with you on something of that nature. But it's, it's more so of us being notified about it, and then we could just do what we, what we can and push resources towards it. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've had to talk with the mayor about that, and he just basically said there's no money in the budget for it, so I will have a follow-up conversation with you after this and see if we can you know, make that a priority. Look forward to it. Thank you. Councilmember Brown. Thank you, Council President. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, uh, Vice President uh, Garza. Uh, I would support and encourage that as well, uh, being on some of those cleanups and seeing what you're talking about. Um, with the neighborhood uh, uh, advisory board grants of the 200,000 to the, the organizations, you said impact neighborhoods, 
Um, just for groups, you know, who might be listening and now, what, what is that definition? For example, we have HRCS grants who provide human services that impact the neighborhood as well. So how is that kind of defined? So um, our grants are a little bit smaller. They go up to $5,000. Uh, neighborhood organizations, civic organizations can apply for more than one project. Um, some of the past projects that we have funded have been little pantries throughout the neighborhood. Uh, we've funded uh, little libraries. We've funded neighborhood signs. Some of the uh, beautification projects that neighborhoods have had, uh, community gardens that neighbors uh, share the, the vegetables and such with. So it, it's, it's a variety of things, uh, but things that really get the neighbors out into the neighborhood and, and just doing great things for their neighborhood. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. And regarding the... Um the regular Neighborhoods in Bloom, um, uh, how, how much uh, did you give out last year and how much is available for this year for the public? Well, every year we contract with the um, Ingham County Land Bank and it's, it's a straight $20,000 for that. So uh, last year, I didn't bring those numbers because I, I wasn't, um, it's in my annual report and I didn't want to cross over, but I can get that over to you. Uh, but we have, uh, each, each kit covers 24 square feet and organizations have no limit to how many kits they can order. It's, it's how many kits your neighborhood can handle. As long as you're not planting them in your backyard, but I'll also say I'm not walking through the neighbors to see if you're planting it in your backyard, but we do strongly encourage that it is planted in the right of way. But as many kits as your neighborhood can handle, we've had uh, uh, orders up to 100 kits. Yeah, I know the program's been very successful and it's wonderful you know, driving around Lansing and being part of the neighborhood and seeing the result. Uh, thank you so much for that. And then lastly, the gun violence prevention grants of 300,000. Is this in conjunction with like the advanced piece? Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of different groups trying to combat gun violence and we keep seeing grants. So I, I was wondering and wanted to know how is this connected to, to some of the systems that should be in place at this point? So this, these will be focused more so on prevention versus uh, interruption, which is what the advanced pieces is, is. They have a very specified model, and so that's completely separate. We're looking at uh, organizations that catch those, uh, the youth right before they hit that curve. Uh, advanced piece kind of focuses on the, the youth that have already gone past that curve. Okay, thank you, that, that explains it. Thank you so much, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, uh, council member um, Hussein. Just, right. a, just a quick comment, um, and, and folks, we need to get her out of here. Yes, I know. Okay. Um, I would just encourage, and it, and it looks like kind of the spirit of this is this is exactly what's going to happen. I would, I would encourage the application and the rubric go out together uh, so that groups know yeah. exactly how they're going to be assessed and how to fill out that application. Thank you so much. You're welcome. My goal was to learn from previous things that have gone out, so yeah. Okay, so we're going to let you go. Thank you so much. You guys have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Enjoy yourself. Have fun. <clears throat> uh, next on our agenda is the Lansing Housing Commission annual report. So if we could have those that are here for that presentation um, come forward. The Lansing Housing Commission is required um, every year to uh, present their um, annual financial report uh, to council. And so what we have before us is um, their report. And uh, with that, we will
turn it over to um, Doug and then you can make your introductions. And if there are questions as they're going through, um, we'll recognize those questions and then, um, and then go from there. So, Doug? All right, thank you, Council President Wood. Um, as most of you know, I'm Doug Fleming, Executive Director of the Lansing Housing Commission. With me today is our CFO, um, Steve Reich. Um, Steve's going to give the presentation on just some of the highlights of the audit. Uh, I know you guys have had it for a while, so if you have any questions related to the audit, you can. I also did distribute earlier today just kind of a 2020 synopsis of, uh, of LHC's work in the last year. So if there's any questions on that, we can answer those at that time as well. So we'll just start out and Steve will go over the, uh, the audit and then we'll take questions. So just to let you guys know or remind you, our fiscal year ends June 30th. So this audit is uh, as of June 30th, 2022. Uh, we had an external auditor, Plant Moran, audit these uh, financial statements. They gave us an unqualified opinion in November, at, at which time we sent the copy over to you guys for review. I uh, just wanted to highlight you know, a couple of items on here that aren't necessarily stick out, but as a reminder that, uh, um, you know, 88% of our revenue comes from the federal government, from, how, uh, from HUD, and as such, we're subject to a lot of their rules and regulations, and at times, I consider that to us to be just really good custodians of their assets. Um, and. That corresponds to many restrictions that we have. So while there is some cash on our balance sheets, over 70% of that is restricted in one way or another for uh, public housing programs um, and the guidance that HUD gives us for those programs. So a uh, couple other highlights, just looking down over the last couple of years, uh, we uh, got rid of all of our outstanding debt that's on our books. Uh, Back in 2018, that number was 1.7 million. That's all been paid off as of the end of June. Uh, in addition, we've done some other things to work on cleaning up our balance sheet. We had uh, a post-employment benefits program for healthcare for our retirees. At one time, we were underfunded by 1.9 million. Uh, now we're in a situation we are, where we are overfunded on that program. And we also have a pension plan for our employees. Uh, both the union and the non-union employees, and at this time we're uh, overfunded on that plan as well. Uh, and then on the revenue side, you know, you know, one of our biggest programs, we have uh, both Section 9 and Section 8. Section 8 is the Housing Choice Voucher Program where we give vouchers to eligible um, tenants, and we have increased that program over the last several years by 30%. We're up to $13.8 million that we distribute to the greater Lansing area. So um, those are some of the highlights, but certainly willing to take some questions on the statements themselves or what Doug presented separately. Do we have, do we, excuse me, do we have any questions? Uh, Councilmember Brown. Hello, good evening. Thank you for being here this evening. Um, on the independent audit report, it says we did not audit the financial statements of Olive Gardens Limited uh, Dividend Housing Association, Mount Vernon Park Limited Div Dividend Housing Association, South Washington Limited 
uh, Housing Association, Hildebrandt Park Housing Association, which represents 100% of the assets in that position, et cetera. Uh, could, could, could that be explained? Yeah, so each of those entities that you mentioned are separate legal entities. Uh, we have an ownership in those entities, but they, we don't control them, and so they are not consolidated uh, as part of our numbers, but they are presented in the audit, and those numbers that are presented in the audit have been audited. They have a different fiscal year end. That year end is 1231. So the numbers you see in the audit are from 1231 of 2021. Those numbers have been audited. They have not been audited by Plant Moran. Did that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Vice President um, Garza and then Council Member Spitzley. Thank you, Council President. Good evening, you guys. Thanks for being here tonight. Um, so my question is, is out of the 191 homes that was sold to SK, that was the scatter site homes, correct? Yes. Now, are, are you guys in, under management for those properties? I'm just wondering, when we have a complaint from a constituent, who do we reach out now to? Yeah, well, first of all, that sale is not closed yet. Okay, it's um, the first quarter, so I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, well, it was supposed to close a couple weeks ago, but banks, um, you know how they are. Uh, so anyways, it is going to close in the next couple of weeks, and we have, uh, under an arrangement with um, SK Housing, we will be managing them at least for the next 12 months. Um, we have set up a uh, subsidiary within Lansing Housing Commission um, to manage those particular units. Um, so yes, you will call the management company, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of ours. And so we really did that to help our residents in terms of transition. So the maintenance guys that are coming to their homes are gonna be the same guys that they've been working with before. The people that do their annual certification for them are gonna be the same staff people that they've been working with prior. And SK wanted us to do that so that we had as little transitional impact on those residents as possible. So, yes, you can still call the Housing Commission if there is an issue with a scattered home. Okay, thank you. I have Councilmember Spitzley. Thank you, Madam President. So let's get back to the audit. So then I'm, I'm confused. Who audits the, those, the financials of those separate Oliver Gardens, Hildebrandt, who, who does that audit? Maynard Kisterson. Maynard Kisterson, a local Are they, uh, public okay. accounting firm here in Lansing. And where would we get that information? Is that information, that information is part in here, and then Plant Moran just reviewed those numbers to? So Plant Moran is required to report or include those numbers in our audit report uh, by Accounting guidance that required to include the discrete component units is what we call those at this point. Uh, but those audits uh, do exist. I could share those with you if you want them. My only my only question um, is, and my only concern is, is if I'm asking the question about the different audits, and it's confusing to me, then it's probably confusing to other people, and so that's why I asked who audits those separate um, entities. If you're in, in the Plant Moran audit, I am assume is just on the administrative side, or what did Plant Moran audit? They audited the Lansing Housing Commission, which includes the units that we own wholly, and uh, uh, Section 8 program. And then just to be, be clear, so even though Plant Moran says that we did not audit these numbers, they did verify that the numbers that are in this report are the same numbers that are in the audited report. Okay. 
All right, so to try to eliminate the confusion, when you go through the RAD process, um, the HUD-sponsored RAD process, the, you, you do a, you literally move each one of those entities that go through RAD become a discrete opponent or basically a subsidiary of the Lansing Housing Commission. So they're their own business unit now. Okay. They used to all be part of the Lansing Housing Commission. They're not anymore. They're an independent business, their own LLC, and so they have an independent audit that is done on them. Um, so that's why there's a difference between what our audit used to look like and what our audits are going to look like in the future. And Oliver Gardens, which was another discrete opponent, has been independently audited for years on its own, and that's another property that the Lansing Housing Commission owns as a subsidiary. Thank you. I have one more question. Go ahead. Madam President, thank you. So you, you mentioned Section 8, and I, and I think that's a good segue into um, a question um, that has come up. Um, that I, I would appreciate you providing some clarity on. So you guys, um, first of all, it says you took over um, a certain number of Section 8 vouchers. Um, and that happened, I think, was that December 2021 when that happened? Officially in January of 2022. Okay. And, uh, and so the first question I have is, I know at some point there was an issue of reimbursement from the city and some other folks. So are you guys clear with that you've been fully you know you're fully being reimbursed that's that's happening on a what do you call it consistent basis or regular basis yeah we uh, actually um those are all grant programs that we acquired as a part of of holy cross mm -hmm. who um relinquished those in in uh, december of 2021 uh, and we assumed i think there were six different grant programs as a part of that program um, we spent the better part of six months writing those programs, trying to figure out what was wrong with them, where they were going wrong, and why they were being overspent. Uh, and in subsequent to that, we were working with the city. We have now moved those grants from the city to direct to HUD, which is the way we handle all of our other grant programs. So we are now working directly with HUD on those grant programs. Uh, and we did get all of them renewed in, well, they renewed in July and in August of 2022. So those grants have been renewed and we're now operating them um, direct with HUD at this point. Okay. And my final question is about your Section 8 vouchers. So I had a constituent contact me. And by the way, Kim Shiree of your office is, she's the bomb. She's awesome. So I had a constituent call me. Um, regarding Section 8 vouchers and an issue they were having with an apartment building that was infested. Um, and so I quite naturally, he, he told me it was a Lansing Housing Commission home. So I called Kim and asked her about it. Um, I found out it wasn't. Can you explain the Section 8? You guys issue the vouchers. Do you guys then find the housing for these people or how does that work? Now, the, the, the process is, is that um, first we have a wait list in which we have to operate off of, and we open the wait list about once a year, and that's the wait list that we get about 3,500 people apply in seven days. We then lottery that list down to around 600 uh, individuals that then we begin to process on, and we try to process um, as many as we can a month, somewhere around 100 is what we've been trying to, to get processed through. Once someone in the processing part is basically you coming to us and certifying that you're eligible for the program, just because you sign up for the wait list does not make you eligible. Um, there are HUD guidance that we have to go through and collect all of your information. 
because ultimately your subsidy is based on your income, uh, the income that you and your family have. And so it varies from, from file to file. So as I've said before, if you've seen a Section 8 file, you have seen a Section 8 file because they're all literally different. And we have uh, almost uh, you know, 2,500 vouchers in our agency and all of those files are gonna have nuances to them that are gonna make them all a little bit different. Um, once we determine eligibility for the program, we then give you the voucher and you go into the community and you have to find a, uh, an apartment building or some other rental situation that then meets the, the requirements of the voucher. In other words, you can't go, uh, the voucher has a, 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 a price limit. Like, you know, I think our one bedroom units are around $900 right now is what the voucher will pay. Uh, so you can't go out and move into a, a $1,300 one bedroom because you're not gonna, you know, we won't pay that much money. So you're limited on that. So you have to find uh, a unit at that time. Once you find the unit, you sign a lease with that individual. We have, we're not involved in that process. Um, the only next step for us is that we do employ a third party by HUD rule, um, HQS inspector, housing quality inspector. And before we can begin to apply subsidy or pay subsidy on that unit, it has to pass an HQS inspection. So you go out, you find a unit, you come back to us, you say, hey, I found an apartment, this is where I want to live. We then send the HQS inspector out there and we'll inspect the unit. And if it passes the HQS inspection, then you can move in. Um, so the decision of where someone lives is dependent on the individual who got the Section 8 voucher. It's not, we don't direct that whatsoever. In fact, under fair housing, we're not allowed to direct that. Um, we just give them the voucher and they have to go out and find their own housing wherever it is. So you guys don't have a list of um, landlords that accept Section 8 vouchers? Yes, we do. We do have a list of vouchers and, and we do have currently a, um, uh, landlord uh, incentive program to try to get more landlords to participate in the program. And we've spent about $40,000 on incentives in the last 12 months trying to get more landlords to participate because we don't have enough units. And our, and our Housing Choice Voucher Program actually extends from Leslie to Charlotte, uh, Potterville, up in the DeWitt area, out to Williamston. So it's not just the city of Lansing that someone can take one of these vouchers although 90% of our voucher holders do want to live in the city of Lansing, uh, and they try to seek housing in the city of Lansing. So that's the process that they go through. And at any point in the future, if that resident has a problem with the landlord, they can always call us and ask for what's called an emergency HQS inspection. And we'll go out and reinspect that unit, and if it doesn't pass HQS, we stop subsidy to that apartment building immediately. Uh, until they rectify that situation. So we're kind of parallel with code compliance in that way, in that we have the, the hammer of the subsidy, stopping the subsidy payment to the, to the landlord if they don't pay, that we can stop that subsidy. So does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that's what happened in the situation that I'm talking about. I'm not gonna give out any names, mm -hmm. but they were not satisfied with the apartment. And I think they thought it was a Lansing Housing Commission apartment, but, and I didn't understand the, the whole Section 8 process, so I appreciate no, that. No Section 8, anyone that has a Section 8 voucher is not living in a Lansing Housing Commission um, <coughs> entity. Thank you. Okay, next I have Councilmember Koss, Vice President Garza, and Councilmember Brown. Thank you, Madam President. Um, so your scattered sites are still under, um, you guys, correct? 
the sale has not gone through yes okay so has any maintenance taken place on any of those properties I personally toured them um, back in the fall mm-hmm. um, there was some pretty bad damage that I have photos of so mm-hmm. I'm just curious if any maintenance has been followed through with on these properties why they're still um, not being having been sold yeah uh, we've spent over a half a million dollars on our scattered homes over the last probably eight to ten months um, primarily because those units because they're moving from the section 9 platform to the section 8 platform as a result of this sale they also are all going to have to pass an HQS inspection um, we cannot apply subsidy and we're going to be applying the subsidy on the scattered homes for SK housing to maintain their affordability for the next 20 years with a 20-year renewal um, that they have to pass HQS inspection as well so we have gone through all of those houses um, we inspected every house ourselves and then uh, you know any place that we had issues with we wrote it up we began doing the mitigation of those all of those because we're so close to the sale have gone back through an HQS inspection in the last 30 days um, some of them failed frankly and um, for a variety of reasons some of them are very small reasons um, but we have gone back out and we're now fixing the ones where we still had some issues in them to make sure that they also uh, will pass the HQS inspection so and we had some reinspections today and of the 20 reinspections we had today every one of them uh, passed inspection on the second on the second inspection okay um, are, do you have any that are still red tagged we have five units that are red tagged or four units I should say that are red tagged um, they are offline um, and we are we just completed an RFP to uh, begin reconstruction on those they were ones that uh, the previous tenant did extensive enough damage that we had to um, close them down and they they're not occupied and they haven't been occupied since they were red tagged okay um, I, I happened to look through the list of properties that you had mm-hmm. I came across one that was marked neat on safe with no resolution at this point and there appeared to be someone living there when I passed it earlier today are you aware of any kinds of properties like this no give me the address and I'll look it up the other thing is that your, your high density locations the the uh, duplexes and apartment buildings um, I think there's four you've got four complexes mm-hmm. um, there's a bunch of construction ongoing right now and there is trash and construction material everywhere now um, I'm not a resident there but I don't think I'd want to live in that kind of uh, environment with that amount of mess is there any um, plan to maybe get these contractors to clean up um, their areas a little bit um, I can look at it we only have two properties that are currently under construction the other two have been finalized so you're talking about either Hildebrand or Leroy Froll. so and Hildebrand had quite a bit of garbage just bags laying uh, next to the dumpsters okay our, our bags or resident bags it looked like resident bags okay. um, and the dumpster was empty so I mean you, the concerning part is, is is folks live in these houses mm-hmm. for me and the way these look um, is uh, you know and I'm not saying you are but it, it, some of these places look like they're run by scum lords uh, and that's my concern because these are folks homes 15 years stuff like that um, so you know what you said was minor issues that didn't pass you know those may not be minor for those folks I just you know like to keep that in mind that you know we're talking about places where people live that's their home um, I don't think I'd want my home like that so 
I appreciate you both coming here. Okay. Uh, thank you. Next is uh, Vice President Garza and then Council Member Brown. Thank you, Council President. Okay, so I heard you say HQS inspection a few times. Mm -hmm. um, whose responsibility is to make sure when you're issu issuing the uh, Section 8 vouchers that these properties that they're moving into have valid rental certificates? We, we don't, we're not involved with that. You're not, okay. No. So would that be HQS? I'm just wondering because I'm no, hearing that. No, not HQS both. either. That's the city's responsibility. That's not our responsibility. Okay, thanks. Uh, Councilmember Brown. Thank you, uh, President Wood. Again, thank you for being here. Um, just to ask a few questions here, I won't be too long, but you talked about uh, the grants that were transitioned from you. Um, we were working with the city to kind of transition, and now it's directly with HUD, um, which is the way that you all have worked in the past. Were those grants prior to you getting them managed by the city the entire time, but because you switched or you know, took over those responsibilities from Holy Cross that is now different? No, um, no, the responsibilities are the same. Um, we got the grants directly to HUD because that's the way we normally work with HUD. Uh, and the city also was uh, overwhelmed with some of the grants. And so it was a joint decision between us and the city to move those grants directly to HUD. Uh, and also those grants had been given to the city by the COC to be the fiduciary. Oh. And so the city made the decision to move the fiduciary as well. Um, so it was just a, a bunch of moving parts at that time. Okay, so then that the, the fiduciary was with the city for you know the last years and then mm -hmm. you've taken over that transition to HUD. Yes. What are those grants that you're talking about? You said six. Oh boy, there you got me going now. Uh, there's two different PSHA grants. Um, PS H PSH, uh -huh. Permanent Supportive Housing. Um, I, think, I think they might be, are they listed on the sheet that I gave you or not? The different grants, or it just says six different grants. Um, I, I can get that to you, Councilman Brown. I mean, they, they, all, they all have certain nuances to them, and this is one of our frustrations with HUD. Some of them, for example, call, call that in order for you to be eligible for the subsidy, you have to have spent time in the shelter. Um, so we have someone that's ready to move in. We'd love to give them a voucher and we can't give them a voucher because they have to go live in a shelter for two days to be eligible for this particular money. Um, other ones are a little different than that. The PSHA grants come with some support with them as well. Um, you know, where we have a third party agency that's going in and doing some of the support for the people living in that housing, those grants have an additional level of support where a regular Section 8 voucher doesn't come with any kind of support whatsoever. But a PSH grant is gonna have some support and we do work with other local agencies to provide that grant, th okay. that support here. So now uh, Lansing Housing Commission along with directly with HUD is the kind of the uh, fiduciary of these grants? HUD is the fiduciary. The fiduciary, yeah. okay, and no longer the city. So there's Correct. been a transition there. Thank mm -hmm. you for clarifying that. Yeah. Uh, and then we talked about um, the voucher, the uh, HQS inspector. What is that? Uh, how long does that process take? So if there's a, a house and they, it needs to be inspected, how long does that process take? Um, well, because the, what, you're right in that process where they're ready to move in. So yeah. we try to get it done within two or three days. We'll get an inspector out there to get that inspection done. And then also if then it doesn't pass the HQS, we'll go to the landlord and say, look, you know, you need to get this fixed. And they're obviously, you know, 
motivated to try to get it fixed because they want to move somebody in because that obviously means revenue to their particular apartment building. So it, it varies from, from you know, how bad the HQS inspection was. If the HQS inspection is really terrible, we will advise our client that, look, it's probably going to be a while before you're going to be able to move into this unit. Maybe you need to go find something else. Okay. So fantastic. we will work with them on that. Fantastic. And then from there, you indicated, you know, if someone's living there for a while, uh, if there's an emergency or whatever it may be, that uh, the HQS inspector can go, will, will go back out mm -hmm. and inspect where they're living. So if they've lived there for six years. If uh, you indicated that it doesn't meet inspection, you will hold the voucher or the payment. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. So if a, a family is living there and it's not up to inspection, they've complained, they've told you, the inspector comes out and says, yes, some things need to be changed. Mm -hmm. If you're holding the payment, is the individual family getting evicted for not making payment? No, they cannot get evicted for that. Um, what I'll give you the, the, the most recent example is there was a building, you probably all know about it, that was on TV a week or so ago. What we do um, as a housing agency, anytime we see something on the news about an apartment building, the first thing my staff does the next morning is that we go through our records to see if we have anybody living in that building. Um, in the latest incident, we did go through, we identified three clients that we had in that building. We contacted each one of the clients that same day asked them if they felt safe in their unit, if there was issues with their individual unit, because the complaint, if you remember the TV report, was more about what was going on in the hallway. Um, and they said that they felt that their unit was okay, but the hallway was a problem and security of the building was a problem. Um, we ordered an emergency HQS inspection anyways. We went in and looked at their units. Each one of the units did pass the HQS inspection, but the hallway um, was an issue. And based on that, then our ability with HUD under regulation is that we can offer them the opportunity to move immediately. Um, they can break their lease, it's not a violation of the Section 8 voucher, and they can go to any place that they can find at that point. And so we made that offer to each one of the three clients that are in that building. Um, two question, of them said question. they're going to be looking for that. Question. Thank you so much for explaining. So mm -hmm. if you offer someone an ability to move, do you provide financial support to make that happen as well? No, we do not. Okay. And then also, you don't necessarily, you're saying there's a waiting list, so there may not be anywhere for them to go? It depends on their house size. I mean, if you're a one or two bedroom, you have a better chance of finding alternative housing. If you're a four or five, um, you're going to be in trouble. Okay. Thank which you. will put me on my soapbox about why we need more affordable housing in the city so that those folks have options and they're not destined to have to live in a unit that they should not have to live in. Okay, thank you. And then if there is a, you know, you guys are providing, I think you said directly the vouchers to the landlords. What, ha uh, what is in this audit, is it uh, described the turnaround time for your payment or your consistency? Um, as far as making the payments, we've had a few constituents that said that, you know, they've been doing what they're supposed to and for some reason the payments have been backed up and they've been mm -hmm. at risk uh, for eviction because uh, they're saying that the voucher has not been paid to the landlord in, you know, multiple months. Could you um, yeah. speak to uh, that? Well, first of all, no one on our Housing Choice voucher has been at risk of being evicted. We do, as I said, we have over 1,800 vouchers ourselves, and we administer 600 more for, for Mishta plus a few on top of that. Um, we're making those monthly payments, 2,700 payments every month. We have a large portion of them that are on our, our ACH system. So on the first of the month, we approve the payments. The payment goes out HCS. It's in the bank account of the management company. 
um, the next day. Um, the management company, when they actually apply that to the resident's account, is between the management company and the resident. I, we don't know when they do that. So, if, for example, if I live in a building and, and my apartment building has a portal, and I go out to the portal on the 10th of the month, it may show that my subsidy has not been paid for that month. It doesn't mean that the landlord hasn't been paid because we paid them on the first. The money sits in their account on the second. They can apply that whenever they want during the month. That's, that's between the landlord and, and, uh, and how they do their accounting. We don't control that once it's been paid. We, so we make all those ACH payments are made on the first of the month. Anybody that's manual, and we do have some that are manual, we do on the 15th of the month. Um, and so all the landlords participate with us, know exactly how the payment system works and when they're out there. Again, there are 1,800, 2,500 payments that go out every month. There's going to be screw-ups. I can guarantee you they're going to. We have human beings on their side, human beings on our side. For example, a simple thing like when, when it gets put into the system, the subsidy is, uh, is originally signed up that you're in Unit 201. The request comes to us for subsidy for Unit 202. Our system will flag that and not pay because we can't pay subsidy to a unit that's not part of the record. But if the resident calls us or the landlord calls us, and it's really incumbent on the resident because they're the one that owns, so to speak, the housing choice voucher, they're the one that should call us and say, hey, my landlord says he didn't get his payment this month. We will then go into the system, identify what the problem is. But there's a variety of reasons why someone payment may not be made. For example, one of the other things is that every year they have to recertify for the program. There comes a point where they're not participating with us. They're not getting us the paperwork that we're supposed to have. We will stop payment because the resident has not proven their eligibility for the program. Um, and they owe us documents. And we've given them 60 days to get us those documents, and they haven't gotten them yet. We'll stop payment on their house. So there's another example. So again, well, if there's ever an issue, all you need to do is contact us. We'll look into the situation and figure out what it is. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for explaining mm -hmm. that. So, oh, sorry. another question, then we've got a couple other people waiting. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, thank you for that. I'll leave that um, there. What What happens uh, with uh, if, if constituents are not pleased when they do have uh, the areas for you know that like the property management and maintenance? What is the escalation point if something has been fixed and it's not proper um, for the resident? Again, they can call us and ask for an emergency HQS inspection, and we'll go out. If it does not pass HQS inspection, then we'll stop payment. Uh, what if it is your property? It's the same. I mean, they have to call us, I guess. I mean. So if someone lives in your wholly owned property and mm -hmm. maintenance comes out, they're not pleased, what would they do if it's your maintenance people that they're not pleased? They should call the manager who manages that particular property. If they're un happy with the response they get from that manager, then they should escalate it and ultimately it'll come to me. Okay, so if they're not happy with the manager, they escalate it to who? They can escalate it to me. Okay, thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Council. Not a problem. Uh, Vice President Garza. Thank you, Council President. So this is a follow-up to the administration from my previous question regarding valid rental certificates. Mm -hmm. So my question, Jane, um, was how are we making sure that these Section 8 vouchers that they're issuing are going to properties that have valid rental certificates. Because right now I'm hearing that people are moving into these properties that don't have uh, current val uh, valid rental certificates. Is there um, a process moving forward? I understand 
I know Barb Kimmel's in the in the audience here right now. She just took over as a director. Um, but is there is are you guys do you guys have a plan in place to make sure when we're putting people into properties that they have valid rental certificates? That is a that is a good question. I want to make sure and give you the right answer. I would say that there we do have a process, but let me ask uh, Barb if she has a, an answer on that. By any chance, if not, I will get back with you, Councilman, just to confirm that. I'm I'm certain that we do have a process, but I will confirm that if uh, get I, an I, I would recommend um, that um, the Lansing Housing Commission, when they're doing their inspection, that they're asking the landlord for their rental certificate. I mean, that's the easiest way to make sure that they've got it. Um, that your your voucher is going to a certified um, rental, uh, a rental that has been certified, and you're making sure before you're allowing somebody in there. If you're telling us that you're doing those inspections, then that would be the quickest and easiest. I understand you're not responsible for it, but it's no different than asking the landlord whether they've got smoke detectors in that. That should be um, a uh, question that's asked every single time. Okay. Okay. I think that gets to where you're going, and that I will follow up as well. And the follow up is when you guys do the initial <coughs> inspections, you know, and you notice deficiencies. Mm -hmm. Are there immediate follow up inspections within a certain number of days? I mean, we've seen the the horrible examples have been in the paper, and they're not housing commission sites but they're sites where we've had these fires in these rentals and they've you know they were cited for not having smoke detectors mm -hmm. and then there's been no follow-up and then there's a fire that one happened close to home it was my son's babysitter and they ran a rental um, and the landlord was supposed to install smoke detectors and he didn't and in the basement and the fire originated in the basement and so, you know, we've got to make sure then that there are these follow-ups yeah. to make sure that if they've been cited for something within a certain number of time, that they come back and make sure they're in compliance. I, let me double okay. check on that and get you some straight information. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm certain that we do have some follow-ups, but let me confirm. Thank you. Did you have a, a Yeah, just very quickly. Uh, yes. So, great question. Most of my questions have been asked. Uh, but I do have uh, one, and I may have just simply missed it. You shared a lot of information. Who right now, in terms of, so you have your AMPs, and, and at this point you still have the, the 191 uh, scattered sites that have not yet been conveyed to SK. Um, who is, who are you contracting with for site uh, management and maintenance? And it's a company called the Michigan Asset Group. Okay. And we use third-party management because as a part of the tax credit application, you get an additional five points if you have a management company that has um, previous uh, tax credit experience and the Lansing Housing Commission did not possess that experience. So in order to get those additional five points that we were insured to get the money to make the investments in the city, um, we contracted that out. Okay, so all of your, as an example, site managers, your maintenance staff, they are all employees of that company now, correct? Yes, with a couple of exceptions, we are leasing a couple of employees because we didn't want to fire anybody in the process. So if we had current staff on that particular property, they were allowed to stay there, and we are leasing that employee back to uh, the Michigan Asset Group. Okay. And but there's not, I think there's only two left, count, uh, there's one left, Councilman, that's it. 
how many at this point in terms of your amps um, how many sites I'm, I'm sorry uh, do you have site managers for each amp at this point they are budgeted for I think 1.5 uh, managers at every site at every site mm -hmm. and those are all filled pardon me are those all filled I don't know I'd have to ask the management company we have weekly meetings with them but I even asked that particular I know they do I know they did just lose a manager um, for um, Capital City and Leroy um, so I know he's in the process of filling that position but that happened a week and a half ago okay and then do you know what the uh, maintenance FTE is um, yeah, I'm going to say, I have to go look at the budget to be exact, but I want to say it's two, um, maybe two and a half. Um, the normal ratio is um, one maintenance person per 100 units for an amp like that where they're all in one location. It's very different for scattered homes. Um, but I think we have two budgeted for every amp. Okay, and so are those folks being pulled to do maintenance out at the scattered site homes? No, no, because yeah, Michigan Asset Group has no connection with the scattered sites. The scattered sites are Lansing Housing Commission. Got it. Okay. So. My concern, Doug, is, you know, I, I recall that the process when the board of directors was taking a look at this in the summer of 2022, um, and, and frankly, prior to that, when it came to us, um, you know, a huge piece of you all, um, as an example, pivoting away from the scattered site was um, the inability, or I should say the difficulty uh, in, in terms of managing those, uh, keeping those up to code and, and the like. Um, and so I struggle a little bit when I'm hearing that um, there's this relationship moving forward um, and that you guys are uh, still going to be involved in, in the management of. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried about that. Um, so I'd, I'd like to talk maybe a little bit more about that with you um, and how that looks. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I want to No, go ahead. Yeah, just to clarify, when we talked about the difficulty of managing the sites, a big part of the difficulty of managing the sites was the HUD funding and our ability to get enough money to continue to manage them in the next 20 years under the Section 9 platform that HUD has where the, where the houses are right now. Um, they, we just, the amount of money we're gonna get in capital funds, and frankly, those scattered sites were being semi-subsidized in terms of capital funds by the, the, the more high-density sites. Uh, and once those got peeled off as independent business units, than that subsidy, the amount of money that you need, because to turn a, a, a scattered site is going to cost you anywhere between $2,500 and $3,000. To turn a unit at Leroy Fro, you can probably do it for eight, $900 if it's in, it's in decent shape. The other part, we just had a house uh, three weeks ago that had a, a, a drain issue. We went into it, started looking at it, plumbers looking at it. Um, a week and a half later, the whole line from the house out to the center of the road it was on the wrong slant. We had to replace the whole thing, $25,000. Um, the amount of capital funds that we get to fund and to support those houses um, with the age that those houses are was never going to be enough money. And HUD readily admitted that, which is why they have the Section 18 program. They know they're not going to fund any public housing entity at the level that's necessary to maintain those assets for the next 20, 25, 30 years. So it was more than just the physical management of it, it was also the financial management of them. Okay, um, very quickly, I, I think we have another question. Um, so you said that Capital City and Waverly Place have both been finaled out, is that correct? That's correct, yep. Okay, so can, can we, people that are interested, can we schedule a, a tour of those properties? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay, I have a couple questions and then we'll move on. Um, back to the financial report, were there any findings by the audit company that needed 
um, for you to make amendments or, or make adjustments as you move forward. I didn't see a letter in there no. um, from the audit company. No, there were no financial adjustments. Okay. Um, second of all, um, in looking at um, the um, sites that received the RAD dollars, can you explain to me why, um, and, and I believe it was the one on South Washington, was 9.5 in an interest rate when all the rest were around 4.5? That's not an interest rate. That's the actual amount of tax credits that you get. So um, South Washington at the time, which is now Capital City Apartments, uh, qualified for the 9% MISHTA program. MISHTA has okay. two separate tax credit programs. One is the 9% program, one is the 4% program. The 9% is a competitive program. Um, okay, we're competing for right. tax credit dollars all over the state. Um, and it was the only one when we did the formula based on the MISHTA QAP that was gonna qualify for 9% tax credits. Okay. The other three did not uh, qualify, so we moved them to the 4% program which meant that they're going to end up with a little bit more debt because they got less tax credits, um, but they all still worked out financially in terms of our 20-year our performance that were mandatorily have to provide MISHTA and our tax credit uh, entity, which in this case happens to be Sinair, which is also a Lansing-based company. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, we do have some uh, questions that were asked during this uh, process that um, uh, Ms. Boak will make sure that she gets to you and that we get answers, uh, responses back from you. So with that, we want to thank you for being thank here. You. And um, we will look forward to your responses. Okay, thank, thank you. you, President Wood. Okay, um, next is uh, the American Rescue Plan Act uh, grant award updates from the administration. I want, um, in your packets, council members, I went through based on um, the information that was provided by the administration and um, wish that I had done this in Excel sheet, but I didn't. Um, this has the organization's name, the scoring, and in your um, packet, you also have all the scoring applications, the amount that they requested, if there was money given to them, um, that is in the far right column. So um, I put that together so that you would be able to take a look at what those, um, what those were. So with that, I'm gonna turn this over uh, to Jane. And Jane, if you could uh, please uh, go over your information and then yes, if very you have much. questions. Um, oh. We will open it up for questions. Very good. Well, good evening, uh, City Council. Thank you very much for asking me to come before you and give you an update on, the, on our progress here. I'm pleased to inform you that so far uh, we have 13 grants that are in process for funding this week. And by that, I mean um, that they've been signed and everything has been met. And we will begin to uh, give them at least uh, half of whatever it is that uh, we had, uh, they had been the amount that uh, we recommended for them to receive. And then once they finish whatever it is uh, reporting, then we'll give them the remaining amount. So we're, go we're going on a 50-50 for, uh, for these applicants. And as I said, I'm pleased to report that we have 13 right now that we're ready to process. 
As for the rest, because we have a total of 27 uh, grants that were awarded, four of them were just received this weekend, and we're looking to have them uh, signed so that we can get them uh, reviewed and approved and have the funds dispersed. And then four of them are waiting for their SAM.gov unique entity IDs so that they can complete their registration. So once they get the, the, uh, the uh, SAM.gov ID, then we'll be able to, to process them as well. And then, unfortunately, we, we have uh, six contracts that have yet to be returned from, uh, from the awardees. Again, we will be contacting them again. Uh, they do have until the end of 24 to expend these dollars, but obviously we're hoping that they'll spend them sooner. In terms of those that, uh, that came in and did not receive any, um, any assistance at this time, we are meeting with at least two to three organizations per week. We're sitting down with them and talking to them and giving them some suggestions as to where they may be able to qualify for some fundings. But, Please be assured that our focus right now is to get these 27 applicants that funds were awarded, get them, get them done and processed, and get their funds uh, to them so that they can begin, uh, begin their projects. And that's all I have to report at this time. I'd be happy to answer any questions. And we'll start off with Councilmember Spitzley. Yes. Thank you, Madam President. You Thanks well for done. giving us that. Um, Overview, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Can you? Um, I, I I know that you said that there were some. You know, you, you sent us the rubric, and um, but I'm I'm wondering as we look through this, and thank you, President Wood, for kind of setting this out. Um, there are some people that scored high that didn't get money, mm -hmm. and there are some people that scored low that mm -hmm. got money, mm -hmm. and so I'm trying to figure out what were the what what was the thought process in. Um, giving people um, that scored lower dollars than some of the other people who scored had higher numbers. Right. Sometimes, again, I don't know specifically which one you're talking about, but perhaps in, in some instances, it's just that the report, they did a great job on their report. We couldn't, get, we couldn't give them a, a, a bad ranking simply because uh, they didn't meet the qualifications. And by that I mean sometimes we got some... Uh, reports that you know they were well written or they provided us with the information and they met the requirements so therefore if, if you look at the at the root big it says you know met whatever and so i and I, I can appreciate that i mm -hmm. what my what i and it, maybe i wasn't clear in what i just mm -hmm. said is is that if 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 and i'm not going to name them all but mm -hmm. if grantee a mm -hmm. scored 80 mm -hmm. grantee B scored 60, mm -hmm. grantee B gets dollars, grantee A does not get dollars, mm -hmm. even though they scored higher. That, that, that's my question. How, well, do, it, how do those determinations it come could about? Be, it could be, again, uh, it could be just simply that, that grantee A or whatever they got the higher score was simply because they did a, a great job, but unfortunately, depending on what it is that they requested, did not meet uh, the requirements. But w we weren't going to score them low just because they, they didn't specifically uh, meet all the, uh, but the if requirements. They didn't meet the, but if they didn't meet the requirements, Okay, I, I don't know the scoring because I mm -hmm. wasn't there. So if they didn't meet the requirements, it would seem to me they wouldn't have got a high score. Well, sometimes, I'm sorry. But I, but I, mm -hmm. so that's my, so I, that was my question is the, the scoring okay. disparities. So we, we didn't, uh, we didn't uh, give anybody a low score if they, if they submitted a, a, a good application, uh, depending on the, um, on the section. 
but like for example, they might have gotten uh, a zero under the section that says that they meet the uh, ARPA requirements, and then yet they may have gotten a higher score on the description because they did a good job. And before I call on the next person for council members, under Crystal Ray, that should be the fact that they requested $99,934 and they did receive $99,934. So please write that in there. Also, on um, number 27, which is uh, Alicia Bates, um, that shows on the scoring that that person received 64, but when you look at the matrix, they received zero. So, I will double check that one. I will double check. And I'm then sure. evidence for M.I. Dogman mm -hmm. um, shows um, on the um, S drive that they that theirs is in there that they received six, but it's not listed on this list. And then the uh, questioning, um, there's no information in the S drive on, on that one. They're one in the same. They're one in the same. The questioning and the uh, evidence for the Michigan dogman, they're the same. Okay, thank mm -hmm. you. Uh, council I, I member, had, I had that. I had that issue. Tried to go back and forth. Like I couldn't. The questioning, the questioning, but they're the same application. Okay. Thank you, Councilmember Brown. Thank you, uh, Councilwoman President. Um, mm -hmm. So glad to have you here today as well. Thank you. The if to a Councilwoman Spitzley's point, if the individual organizations were not eligible, how were they receiving a score versus, for example, if you're not eligible, you get a zero. No, it's not that, um, and I guess maybe I'm oversimplifying the, the, the response, but when we looked with, for everybody, we made sure that they qualified under ARPA and, uh, and that they met a certain section. Um, but um, could we, it, it, like I said, in, in some cases, maybe it was that uh, they did not meet the requirement, but yet they presented a good report. In other instances, uh, for whatever reason, I don't have all the information in front of me, the committee chose to award the contract to to someone else. I mean. Now I know on your last time that you mm -hmm. kind of presented, you indicated that you first went through to make sure everybody was eligible mm -hmm. or not. Are you mm -hmm. indicating now that the process was, let's look at all of the applications and score them and then determine whether they're eligible? No, we, we looked at each and every one of them and at the same time, we looked to make sure that they were eligible. As we, because we did, we did, uh, we did use the um, matrix, and uh, the first question on the matrix, you know, obviously it it asked the question: Does this project respond to, uh, or mitigates the public health emergency with with respect to the COVID-19 epidemic? So that's the first question. And sometimes, you know, like I said, they may have gotten uh, either a, did not demonstrate or or was below expectations. Um, so it, it, it varies, Councilman. I wish you'd have to show me the, the specific uh, grant so that I can answer your question a little bit more specifically. Uh, because well, it just varies. looking at overall, like to uh, her, uh, Councilman Spisley's point is when, you know, to the public, if a group scored 70 points mm -hmm. and then another group 
scored 49, mm -hmm. the, the group that scored 49 is awarded and the group that scored 70 is not, you see how that could be a concern. Uh, uh, the matrix, as I said earlier too, was uh, was a, just a part of what we looked at as well. The scoring, it wasn't the only thing that we looked at. Uh, many times when, when I spoke with the, uh, the committee members, they felt strongly that they uh, wished to um, allocate the dollars to, to this other organization mm -hmm. instead. Thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. Do you have definitions uh, for, um, I know they're on the criteria, it kind of mm -hmm. explains, for example, it's 15 points available for mm -hmm. economic impact, number mm -hmm. four on the criteria. Mm -hmm. It says, uh, does project help address the economic disparities experienced by low-income individuals and households affected by COVID pandemic? Does application address the advancement of minority involvement and uh, equity? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm looking at one here that I won't name, but it has below average, and I've seen that group, that's all they work with. So how did this, you know, particular groups, how was the committee scoring when they're saying this is substand par, when you look at some of the other groups, and you can tell that that's maybe a, I mean, I, I guess I have to a, look at the uh, at uh, the application, sir. I can just tell you this is the way the uh, the group uh, decided to uh, to rank it. In, in terms of perhaps maybe the uh, they, that may be what the organization does. However, in the uh, in the actual application itself, they did not do a very good job at explaining that. Okay. Okay. Thank you, uh, Councilmember Garza. Er, I'm sorry, it wasn't Garza. It was Councilmember Hussein. Just very quickly. Um, and and again, I may have missed it, but I know a few of us um, are curious, so others may have as well. In terms of the committee that scored them, how, so that was conveyed over to the to the mayor as a, I'm assuming at some point as a recommendation. What yes. did that look? So could it potentially be that some of these were adjusted after he received? I mean, I, I, what did that look like? Did he actually accept your your recommendations? He accepted our recommendations. So he didn't make any adjustments on his end. No, he accepted our recommendations. To to oh. my knowledge, he accepted recommendations. Fantastic. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, secondly, we are hearing from some groups that they still haven't seen contracts. So when you say that you've gotten you've gotten contracts out to everybody, but some mm -hmm. haven't been, been returned, some groups are saying they haven't seen a contract. Who should they, uh, who we, should they we contact? We would just simply groups? ask them to uh, to contact uh, our ARPA fund manager, and uh, and she can make sure that that gets through. We should, like I said, we've gotten. I've given you the report, and we have spoken with the 27 uh, okay. awardees, so I'm, I'm surprised that they said they haven't received it yet. But all they have to do is pick up the phone oh. and contact uh, our ARPA manager, and we'd be happy to get that information to them well, very I'll quickly. Direct them. But then the other thing is um, some folks had not heard uh, that they were going to receive 50% upfront and that there would be reporting requirements. Have we, you been clear about what those reporting requirements are, are supposed to be, what they're going to be? We sit, well, I, I don't personally sit down, but I do, I do meet with, uh, with our ARPA fund manager, and she's very clear, uh, and she speaks directly with all the uh, applicants and explains that very clearly in terms of how those funds are going to be distributed, because at the same time, they've got to provide us with, uh, with some reports as well, and we need to make sure that they understand how that works. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll make sure I, I communicate with those groups. Please, and I'd be um, happy sure to. That, uh, yeah, and and uh, certainly direct them in the right way, but. I'm sure there'd be continued confusion. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure I pick up the phone and talk to you. Yes, okay. please, Thanks please. So I would appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, we're trying to get this done as quickly as we can, and uh, just have them uh, either call me or the manager. We get her straight. Councilmember Spitzley, and we do have two other yeah. items. I just, I, I just need to just for clarification because I'm confused. First of all, let us know. Could you just name the ARPA manager so that everybody knows that? But the second thing was Councilmember Hussein asked you. 
um, after you made recommendations, were there any changes um, or did the mayor make any changes? And you said no, but then you said, at least I don't think so. So do you know if the mayor made changes or not? These are, these are our recommendations. That's the, not what that's, before you. That that's, is, not the, that's, that's not an answer to the question though. My question was, do you know if the mayor made changes or not? I think, cause that, I think that was, am I mistaken, uh, Councilmember Hussein? No. That was the question you asked, right? Yes. <laughs> Councilman these, Councilman, these are our recommendations, and so uh, that, is, that is my best response to you right Thank now. you. And uh, the ARPA manager, her name is uh, Daphne Whitfield, and she can be reached at 483-4016. Thank you. Uh, council members, I would encourage you, after you go over this material, if you have additional questions, if you would get them um, to Sherry and we can get them on to the administration um, and we can um, always have this up on another agenda if need be okay all right that moves us on um, to um, action items and the first one is a resolution to support American Airlines extension authorizing nonstop daily service from Lansing to Ronald Reagan, uh, Washington National um, Airport. If council members remember, we were asked um, by the airport authority if we would please consider sending a letter um, of support. And it was recommended since council speaks through their resolution that we do this as a resolution. So that's what we have in front of us. Council or Vice President Garza. Thank you, Council President. I move the resolution in support of American Airlines. I have a motion on the resolution. Are there any questions? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? And this will be on the agenda for this evening. Uh, next is setting a public hearing for the Community Development Block Grant uh, CBG amendment for fiscal year 2020 annual action report and fiscal year 2021 annual action. And we have Barb Kimmel and uh, uh, um, Doris in front of us. If we could, they would please come forward with their spoon. <clears throat> and in your information is a handout um, that is available for that and a presentation. Okay. Yes, don't trip over those wires. Or governmental immunity and you don't get anything. Okay, Barb, we'll turn it over to you. Good evening. Um, we are proposing a substantial amendment to the city's action plans that is needed in order to make any substantial change in the use of CDBG and home funds. The information is published in the citizens participation plan, which appears on the development office website 
And in this case, we are proposing to use more than 15% of the entitlement amount approved to undertake one or more new actions utilizing CDBG funds. So what is the, act, the process to amend the action plan? Um, it requires that Lansing complete a substantial amendment to the affected action plans, have a 30-day public comment period with a published public notice and hold a public hearing. The public notice for this proposed amendment was published in the State Journal on January 30th, 2023. And um, there is a couple of errors in the presentation. I'm gonna point them out to you. The first okay. error is this. The um, notice referenced a 30-day comment period which began on January 31st and, and ends on March 3rd. 2023. And any public comments can be submitted to Doris Witherspoon via email. And the public hearing is scheduled for Monday, February 27th, 2023. So I'm going to give you a brief overview of the amendments that we're requesting. Um, we're amending our FY20 and 21 action plans. Um, we're going to uh, discuss these changes, in, including the proposed uses of funds as well as the amounts of funding. We're proposing um, two years of amendments, FP HUD program year 20 and HUD program year 21. For HUD program year 20, we um, are going to amend the action plan to reallocate $540,958.69 to the purpose of rental rehabilitation for Walter French. And then for HUD -Y, uh, PY21, we're reallocating a total of uh, $1.165 million, and that includes another $274,356.31 for Walter French, and an additional $891, or excuse me, $891,236.89 for public facilities. So that's a total a reallocation of uh, $1.7 million. So where did these funds come from and why weren't they spent as planned? We're going to go through this for you. Some of the funds were committed to Walter French and that commitment was not reflected in those action year plans. Some of the funds did not get utilized for their original purpose, which was housing re rehabilitation and program delivery. This was mostly due to COVID-19, and it was compounded by a severe and ongoing shortage of contractors. This unfortunate circumstance is affecting the entire nation. Note that we draw old funds first, so be assured that we are certainly spending money during FY20 and FY21, and we continue to spend money. But FY20 and FY21 is where HUD shows this funding as being because we do spend the old funds first. The development office has invested lots of time and energy attempting to recruit good contractors for the programs over the last several years and I want to assure you that these efforts are ongoing. So, due to CDBG timeliness of expenditure requirement, Lansing cannot just hold these funds until we can build up a pool of contractors and accomplish the housing rehabilitation activities that we normally would. Timeliness states that grantees who maintain undisbursed balances of funds 
that exceed 1.5 times their most recent entitlement grant are considered non-compliant with that standard. If these funds are not reallocated and spent, Lansing runs the risk of having the funds recaptured, as well as the threat of reduction of future CDBG allocations. The Walter French project, we're all familiar with that. Um, it will create 76 units of affordable housing for residents with low incomes, incomes at or below 60% of area median income. Of those 76 units, 39 of those units are permanent supportive housing units for the homeless. The development office has provided capillary housing partnership with several conditional commitment letters of CDBG funding for the creation of these units at Walter French. The commitments continued to increase as construction costs have increased throughout COVID-19 pandemic. The current commitment to Walter French from the city of Lansing for CDBG's funds is $1 million or $13,157.89 per unit. The Walter French project is considered by HUD as rental rehabilitation, which is an eligible activity. The project has finally received its LIHTC reservation and the development office has the CDBG funds necessary for this project. In order to utilize the committed funds for Walter French, the funds need to appear in the action plan under the rental rehabilitation activity. The funds for Walter French, though conditionally committed, did not get assigned to rental rehabilitation in the action plan, but were instead assigned to housing rehabilitation. So only $184,685 of funds were committed to rental rehab for Walter French in our allocation plans and that is in this current fiscal year. So moving the committed balance of $815,315 to rental rehab for Walter French requires that we complete this substantial amendment to the affected action plans and have a 30-day public comment period with a published notice and hold a public hearing. Now, what is this other activity that we're proposing? Public facilities for non-congregate shelter. As you may remember, non-congregate shelter is a homeless shelter space that has separate sleeping areas and private bathrooms facilities for either individuals or families, but has common living space. It became the standard for shelter development during COVID-19 as it provides additional protections to shelter occupants who are sick. It also provides privacy and preserves dignity for those who require these services. Lansing's home ARP allocation plan, which was approved by HUD, set aside $500,000 of the home ARP funding for the acquisition and development of non-congregate shelter. This reallocation will provide an additional $819,236.89 for that purpose for a total of $1,319,236.89 enough to make a real difference in the amount and quality of available shelter space for the homeless and other qualifying populations under the home ARP program. So <clears throat> what about funding more public service activities? CDB, instead of, instead of the shelter activity, CDBG utilized for public services is capped at 15% of the annual allocation 
We've already committed and spent funds that met the 15% cap for public service. CDBG funds are used to fund the following public service activities right now. Neighborhood cleanups in CDBG eligible areas around the city, kids camp and the mobile kids camp unit, the HERO program, which includes free homeowner repair and maintenance classes, the Tuesday Toolmen program, and the mobile tool bank. So the activities that we're proposing are allowable and they are consistent with the community needs and the desires of the community as stated in the previous action plans as well as the current consolidated plan and action plan. Um, I'm gonna ask that uh, you vote on the proposed amendment on February 27th, which is the night of the public hearing. So I'll be happy to take any questions if you have any. Before we open it up to um, questions, I do want to let the audience know that we still are in uh, Committee of a Whole. This is our last item um, on the agenda, and then we will go into our council meeting. Vice President um, Garza. Thank you, Council President. Good evening, Barb. Thank you. Thank you both for being here tonight. I just have a, a point of clarity. I thought you may have said 39 permanent supportive housing units, but in this PowerPoint it says 19. Yes, there's a couple of errors in the PowerPoint. That is one of the errors. Okay, yes. so it is, it is 39. It is indeed 39. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, Council, Council Member Jackson. Thank you. The question is about the shelter that you just mentioned. Is it just money that's being put there now or are there any type of plans like what building or where is it gonna be or anything like that at this point? So what we will need to do is to develop an RFQP for the home ARP program, and these funds will be paired with that. So we do not have project identified for the shelter facility at this point in time. Other questions? Seeing, pardon? Okay, not a problem, Vice President Garza. Thank you, thank you, Council President. So, in your, in your presentation, I, you, I believe you mentioned about 15% uh, CDBG funding was going towards uh, uh, public service. Public services, okay, the neighborhood cleanups and CDBG eligible. So who do we reach out and um, who do we reach out? Do we reach out to public service as, as far as like getting a community? No, so these um, HUD categor categorizes this section of funding as public services, but the public service department is not involved in these these actions. If you're looking for a neighborhood cleanup, you need to contact um, the NCE. Okay. Um, and they will help you with that. Thank you. Other questions? Seeing, seeing none, um, Vice President um, Garza, we need uh, a motion. And again, so council members remember, this would be not only setting the public hearing, but that night we would be asked to vote on it as well. So, uh, Councilmember um, Garza. Okay, thank you. I move to setting the public hearing for the CDBG amendment to fiscal 2020 annual action plan and fiscal year 2021 for February 27th. Thank you. We have a motion. Any questions? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes unanimously. At uh, this point, we will. Uh, recess from Committee of a Whole. We will have five minutes and start um, back up 
at um, 7-11. Thank you.